Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm going to be reading from a couple texts here today. The first is found in James chapter 1, and the next is found in Matthew chapter 6. And we're on a series here, and if you're new, just, just parachute into the series. The series is called The Crown, and the reason it's called The Crown is I'm looking at the crown of three kings, three biblical kings, the first king of Israel, the second king of Israel, and the third king of Israel. Three kings in sequence. First king was King Saul, and King Saul lost his crown. King David would not lose his crown, but his crown slipped a lot. (laughs) It slipped a number of times. And then we will be looking in just a few weeks to Solomon, the third one. Solomon's probably the time where Israel was at its most opulent time in history. Three kings. Solomon, actually, his crown slipped pretty severely by the time his life finished. And he wrote, uh, we often read um, one of his three literatures in the Bible, one being the book of Proverbs, another the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. But the last one he wrote before his reign would end would be the book of Ecclesiastes. In a few weeks, we're going to be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes, and I will be inviting you to maybe take time to read, again, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've got passages in there that are perplexing, which there's a lot, Oh my goodness, the first time I remember reading it, I go, if I never read this book again, it'll be too soon because it's depressing. And then I read it again and I came to realize God's trying to show us what it's going to be like in the last days. And the book of Ecclesiastes really talks about that. And so we need to talk about Solomon's crown from the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to read our text again. It has been through the whole series, James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive, here it is, the crown of life. It's not a given. Note that. It's when they've stood the test that the Lord has promised to those who love them. I want, I want to continue the crown of life that God has promised. And then the text today is found in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to go down to verse 14. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay, I want to pause here for a second. Can you look up? How many here want to live and experience God's forgiveness? Okay, the rest of you, I might suggest you might want God's forgiveness, okay? You might want his forgiveness. So I'm going to read that again, chapter 6, 14. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. You say, well, isn't that automatic? If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We can maybe say it another way. Unforgiveness is a roadblock for you to walk into God's forgiveness. And to not walk in God's forgiveness, not just the forgiveness of your sins that he provided 2,000 years ago, but it's every day not to walk in condemnation, shame, and guilt to 
to walk free from the weight of sin's guilt. If you want to do that, forgiveness, am I reading it right? Am I missing something here? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you notice what these two verses followed right after? Verse 9 and 10. Somebody tell me. Talk to me. The Lord's Prayer. Now, I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was in school. I pray the Lord's Prayer not every day, but probably every week. I will go through aspects of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not, you know, just for the atheist. Why would they pray the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is for followers of Jesus, children of God. That's why it says, our Father, as a child of God, our Father. And then on the heels of that, he says, and if, he's continuing, and if you forgive other people. He's not talking to the unconverted. He's talking to us. Other people, when they sin against you, and they will, and they do, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... Uh, if you do not forgive others their sins. In other words, he's saying, how can you be a follower? How can you experience my fullness and forgiveness if it doesn't flow out of you to others? The question is, have you really understood forgiveness at all if it can't flow out of you to others? Because God's forgiveness will change you. And the greatest thing he accomplished on the cross was not something 2,000 years ago. The greatest thing he accomplished on the cross was he defeated sin today. Sin today. That I might walk in freedom and forgiveness. I've been forgiven of my weight of sin. Uh, if you go with me down to chapter 18, down to chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. So Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother and sister? Okay, how often do we have to do this? So they understood they need to. How often do we? Surely there's a limit. When somebody keeps doing the same thing over and over again, there must come a point where you say, enough's enough. My forgiveness stops. How many times? Peter asks. Verse 21. And Jesus answers, he says, I, don't do it seven times, because Peter suggests maybe seven times, up to, up to seven. You know, maybe second time, I'll forgive him the third time. Up to seven. Seven was a good number, round number. That was a lot. He actually exceeded the expectation by saying seven. Jesus says, no, no, it's not seven. Seventy-seven times. Jesus was making an expression, you never stop offering forgiveness. You don't stop it. Now, I want to uh, talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is a really tricky thing. Our hearts are naturally fairly deceptive. They're sneaky. You have that expression, they're sneaky. My, my heart is sneaky. Your heart's sneaky. We think we've done something. Our brain tells us one thing, but our heart's going a different direction. We um, say, but we do different. That's why... The closer you bring those two together, you say and you do, and the, the margin narrows, the closer you become a person who walks in spirit and in truth. You're walking in truth. There are different levels of forgiveness. 
I find forgiveness hard. I don't know anybody else. I find it. I, um, is it easier than it used to be? <laughs> you know, I would say yes. And then a situation comes along, and I go, shoot. I did it again. I was harboring unforgiveness again. So I'd like to say yes. I'd like to say I'm more conscious of it. But you know something I discover as I get older, I feel a little bit more entitled. Anybody agree to that one? You feel that somebody, oh, how dare you? Like when you were young, you probably deserved what they did. You get older, what right do they have? Right? You're a bit more entitled. So that's where it just makes it a bit more difficult to forgive. I couldn't have anticipated that one. I honestly didn't see that one coming. I just really hope it stops, but I don't know if it will. I, there's a sense of entitlement the older you get. I'm going to call it entitlement. That um, how dare you kind of a thought. And it's, for, it's tricky. I've discovered there's levels of forgiveness. There's, I, I'm going to call it qualified forgiveness. Qualified forgiveness is often when the word if comes to mind. In other words, I'll forgive you if. That's a little superficial forgiveness. Or another word for qualified is when. I'll forgive you when. Okay, you qualified something to the forgiveness. So it's not, it's not really forgiveness. You put a qualification marker to it. Another level of forgiveness is partial forgiveness. Uh, we use the word but in this one. I'll forgive you but... Never want to see you again. Okay, qualified. I'll forgive you, but don't expect me to forget what you did. Okay, qualified. In other words, it's not through and through forgiveness. It's partial. It's not real. It's superficial. So we're going to look at David. We're looking at a person who wore the crown. And David, uh, he had a lot of good qualities. Last time together, we talked about he had trouble in home, and he had a lot of trouble at home. Uh, there was a lot of messes that David had to deal with in his home, and they didn't all turn out very good. So he dealt with issues at home. Today, I want to look at David when it comes to forgiveness. How, how do we have and wear the crown of life and walk in forgiveness? How do we do that? Well, the story we're going to pick up today is found in 2 Samuel, so I invite you to go there to 2 Samuel, and we're going to pick up the story, 2 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to start, 2 Samuel chapter 16, and it's really a three-scene drama. There's three characters in this three scenes we're going to pick up. One, of course, is King David. The second is a guy by the name of Shimei, and Shimei is a descendant of Saul. Saul was the first king, guy by the name of Shimei. And the third character is a guy by the name of Abishai, and that was David's bodyguard. He was assigned to protect the king. So he was the bodyguard that was with him, and he would fulfill any whim of the king. It's his job. Three characters, David, Shimei, and Abishai. So we pick up the scene of these three people, and 
The story here, before we pick it up in 2 Samuel to bring you up to speed, in 2 Samuel, the, the story takes place where David has, there's been a revolt against David's kingdom. His son Absalom, we talked again a couple of weeks ago about his son Absalom, stole the hearts of the people in Jerusalem and turned them against his father, the king, David. And an uprising came and Absalom conscripted an army and David fled the palace with his immediate soldiers, his immediate military men, because many had turned to the other side and David ran, ran from the palace and he abdicated the throne. He, he left. He ran from the throne. So Absalom was taken over the throne. So that, it was, it was a very tumultuous time. You have to, I could only imagine the time that this must have been. To have not just somebody threaten you, but to have your own son do it. I mean, that, that's horrible. David runs. He leaves Jerusalem. He takes off. And the road that he would take leads David and his men past the walls of Buram, and now enters the second character of our story. David has left Jerusalem. There's been a revolt. Absalom has taken over Jerusalem. David's run. He's running for his life with, with quite a few people. And he's running, and the second character, Shimei, comes into, and this is where we pick it up, 2 Samuel chapter 16, and I want you to join me in verse 5. Here we are, verse 5. As King David approached Baram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei. Everybody say Shimei. Okay, son of Gera. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Don't think that wasn't annoying. Though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. Verse 7. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out! Get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. Verse 8, the Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son, Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Now, Shimei is carrying two major lies on his tongue. Lie number one, he said David had slaughtered the household of Saul. David hadn't. David hadn't. They were in a battle and many of them got killed. It wasn't David who killed them. As a matter of fact, David put to death the person who claimed to have killed Saul. So, so loyal was David to Saul. This was a full blatant out lie. Secondly, the Lord did not give Jerusalem to Absalom. Absalom stole the throne. Wasn't God's idea. Never was God's idea. We'll see the story turn in just a moment. It was not God's idea. Too blatant lies. So one could scarcely fault David for not liking the guy. Okay, you with me on that? I don't like him either. I'm just reading the story. I don't like Shimei. Shimei is a scoundrel. And I really don't have any good feelings for him as I read the story. And I'm just going to suggest that in our lives, many of us, maybe all of us, have a Shimei of type. Somebody you just really don't like. 
<laughs> Somebody who is more than an annoyance. At least they're an annoyance. And at most, they are constantly opposing you. The Shimei's of life. They're a different name. They're not called Shimei. Who's your Shimei? I've had them. Shimei's in my life. People that you just really don't like. They stand opposed to you. And it's not infrequent. They won't have a lie on their tongue regarding you either. Let's enter our third character, Abishai. Now, Abishai is David's close bodyguard. Fiercely loyal to David. And I'm going to suggest he probably has a short fuse. So we pick it up in verse 9. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my king, my lord the king? Let me, give me, give me the nod to go over and cut off his head. Okay, now I'm glad we don't. I trust you haven't done that to the person who annoys you. That's pretty severe. Just give me the nod, and I'll hand you his head in the platter, David. Just give me the nod. How dare he do that? Now, remember, Abishai also got pelted with the stones, too. Remember, he threw stones on all of them. He was up there kicking stones on everybody. So he doesn't like them. But he can't just go and lob his head because he needs an order from the king to do that. Because the problem is between Shimei and David. So he turns and he said, I could just hear the sheath coming out of, the sword coming out of the sheath. Just give me the nod, David. Oh, yeah, just, just a little nod. You know, at that time you wouldn't want to have a little twitch, you know, because the head would, would lob. Just give me the nod. I'm waiting I'm waiting for the nod. I, I want to say, I, the reason I take time is when a situation comes when there is heartache and offense to you, typically there will be also an Abishai standing near you, telling you to take revenge, telling you you have a right, telling you to take it into your own hands. It's usually not just between that person and you. Somebody's encouraging you to step out and do something that's not necessarily of the Lord. And Abishai is there saying, David, the nod, I'll look after it for you. Problem will be beyond. Take revenge. So what does David do? Verse 11. David said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjaminite, this Shimei? Leave Shimei alone. Let Shimei curse. Note what he says here. I've underlined this in my Bible. For the Lord has told him to. That's how David saw it. The Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to me his covenant, blessing instead of his curse today. Say, what, David? <laughs> when someone is being unfair to you, have you ever thought maybe the Lord wants them to do this? I mean, David, that's pretty big-hearted of you to think that. David had the authority. David had the manpower to smear Shimei across the desert, and he chose 
not to. You might have the authority, you might have a right to take revenge. The choice is, will you? Will you? We pick it up in verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. This wasn't a one-time moment. This continued all day long. Hmm. So ends scene one. David seems to be living forgiveness in his heart. He's not carrying this offense. Let's go to scene two. We're going to have to go over to chapter 19 for this one. So go to chapter 19. A bit of time passes. What happens between 16 and 19 is the events have all turned around. David's no longer running from his son Absalom. As a matter of fact, the war did take place. A skirmish took place. David's men were victorious. Absalom, his son's men, were not. And Absalom was killed in the battle. David has grieved over the death of his son, not just because his son died, but because David had a broken relationship with his son. And he grieved over that. David is now back. David is restored as the king. The uprising is squelched. There is no more uprising. David is firmly in the palace. Now, between scene one and scene two, of where there's a great victory... David was mourning, and he had to get out of the point of mourning because his people needed him as king, not simply as a mourner. We pick this up in chapter 19, verse 14. And again, in my Bible, I underlined a number of verbs that were panicky verbs. I'm calling them panicky verbs. And it has to do with Shimei. Shimei shows up again. Now, remember the last time it wasn't, he was kicking dirt on him, picking up stones and cursing him with lies. That's the last we saw of him. And David said, leave him alone. God's behind this. God's behind this. Now, a few chapters later, David's now no longer running. David's back fully in charge. Everybody's heralding David as the king. He's got momentum on his side. Now, what happens to Shimei? We pick this up. We go to this whole section. And, and I want you to know that Shimei is chasing after David to apologize for what he did three chapters earlier. If you pick it up in verse 14, you see um, it's, it talks about Absalom having won over the hearts. Okay, let's go down to verse 16. This is chapter 2 Samuel 19, 16. Shimei, son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Biram, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. I, I underlined hurried down. I thought that was interesting. He just didn't go. He was hurrying. Then you continue down. It says um, he hurried down just uh, verse 17. They rushed to the Jordan. There's the second one. Rushed to the Jordan. It says he crossed over at this place. Then a little bit later it says in verse 18, he fell prostrate before the king and he begs for forgiveness. Did you note that? He hurried, he rushed, fell prostrate, and begs for forgiveness. He's in a big hurry to make things right with the king right here. 
Get the impression? He has milked David, David and David's vulnerability. And then when events change, with lightning speed, he tries to make it right. Now, people swarm out of the villages. They're following behind David. David's back in Jerusalem. Shimei uses everything. David's back in power. Shimei's afraid for his life. He, he's gushing forth apology, and he says these three words, I have sinned. He gets to David. He gets within earshot. I have sinned. Now, I personally think that this stirred up a memory in David. Remember an earlier time when those three words were mentioned? It was when David had sinned adultery with Bathsheba. The prophet spoke to him a year later and said, you're a sinner. And David confessed and he used the exact same three words. I have sinned. And he hears Shimei ask for forgiveness. I have sinned. Shimei made sure he got to David. He pushed everything aside. He hurried. He fell down. He rushed. He did all. Got to David. I have sinned. Got right before David. I have sinned. Uh, and enter in Abishai again. Okay, You can hear the sword coming out of the sheath again. I mean, who can blame him? 2 Samuel chapter 19, 21. Can we just read that verse? Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's, and there he is again. We always have a Shimei. We always have an Abishai in our life. Okay, he's there and he's saying, listen, this isn't real. This, he's, he's forgiven. He's asking for forgiveness because he knows his life depends on it now. When you were down and out, king, he was not with you. And now, what's this? No, no, let's, put a, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's put him to death. David, he kicked you when you were down. And David's response is verse 22. Let's read David's response, 22. David replied, what does this have to do with you, you son of Zariah? What right do you have to interfere? He rebuked Abishai. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? Verse 23. So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath, you will not die. Forgiveness usually flows out of those who've experienced forgiveness. And when I start to carry a grudge, listen to this, when I start to carry a grudge towards somebody else, I need to remind myself how I've been forgiven. Because when I do, it's much easier to forgive someone else. If I start to recite my rights and how dare they, forgetting how much I have been forgiven, then anger and revenge stirs the pot. But if I begin to reflect back on how much I have been forgiven, both from my God and other situations where I've blown it and been forgiven, and when I begin to recall those Really, do I have a right to harbor that against you? Do I have a right? For those who've been forgiven much, forgive much. I find a person that has a hard time forgiving, a person that's always out to seek revenge and, and get even and stuff like that is a person that doesn't understand forgiveness. They have no idea how much they have been forgiven. They've forgotten, conveniently maybe, 
how much they've been forgiven. David knew how much he had been forgiven. And so he would forgive. I mean, what else are you going to say? So ends scene two. Let me go to scene three. The story is a compelling story about forgiveness here. David, you had two chances and you didn't take it. You just said, I promise you I won't kill you. He just declared that. I promise you I won't kill you. If we stopped right there, this is a wonderful Holy Spirit moment for us this morning in the story of the crowned King David. David appears to be riding off into the sunset all as well. And then we go to the end of the story. Would you go with me? We have to go over to Kings now to see the end of the same story here. So we'll go to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to be starting at the first verse. Let me just give a bit of the scene here in 1 Kings. Uh, David is old. He's really old. Um, Next week, I want to talk about David in his aged years. We're going to learn something about David in his final years. We're going to spend a bit of time on that next Sunday, but I just want to highlight this one moment right here. David's old. He uh, is on his deathbed. He, He knows he doesn't have many days left. In these final hours, he calls his son Solomon, who's taking over the throne. He calls Solomon to his bedside. David's old. He calls Solomon to his bedside. David's affections and dreams are wrapped up in Solomon. We pick it up in, in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse, verse 1. And when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon. Okay, have you got it? Verse 2. David says, I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. He's speaking to Solomon. Be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. This this is good advice, is it not? This is great words of the king passing the blessing on to the next generation. However, he continues... He says, oh, by the way, and he continues on down, by the way, I got a couple of things I need you to do. Number one, we come down to verse eight. He earlier talks of uh, Joab, but he comes down to verse eight. I want to highlight verse eight. And remember, this is the second one. And remember you have Shimei. Oh, there's Shimei again. He's talking about Shimei. Who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Minian. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. David remembers that moment. Verse 9, but, everybody say but. Here it is. Qualified forgiveness. But now, do not consider him innocent. Solomon, you're a man of wisdom. You will know what to do. Bring his gray head down to the grave. Finish the last two words. In blood. Kill him. Okay, there's the story. Isn't that an interesting story? It was going really good up until this point in time. David had apparently tried with all his heart to forgive and to let it go. You see, forgiveness means letting go. From external evidence, it appeared he was successful. Years had passed. Both of them are old. David's old and Shimei's no doubt old too. Says in his gray hair. Possibly David thought the resentment was all gone. But the fact was, David took a grudge 
to the grave. And that grudge of David reminds us that we as humans are incredibly complex. It's hard to know the deceitfulness that lays within your heart. Few of us will ever be able to comprehend all that goes down in our hearts. And just about the time we have ourselves convinced that we've forgiven someone of a wrong, something pops up and brings it back to the surface. And a whole pile of stuff rushes back. Is that not true? Had it happened many times. I want to just say something here. Husbands and wives, your husband, your wife has done something, maybe in innocent, maybe in guilt. And you've tried to forgive, but it keeps coming back. And you just want to shower down resentment back upon them. Possibly it's a son or a daughter. And they've kicked dirt on you. They've showered you with rocks and cursed you maybe. They've broken your heart, broken your trust. How dare you? How dare you? Maybe it's a mother and a father. And I'm going to even say they might not even be alive today. They might be long gone. But you're still carrying it. We tried. But things bring it back to the surface. And that person continues to cause Tremendous stress, anxiety, and discomfort to you. You see, looming above David's bitterness is an overwhelming sense of a guy wrestling with his own soul. I want to say this, though. You and I have an advantage David never had. David living 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years after this story, you and I have an advantage. And here's what the advantage is. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Anybody want to say amen to that one? The Holy Spirit living in us. We are on the other side of the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross through his forgiveness, he set in motion the working of the Holy Spirit who now does not simply come upon us in moments, but he dwells within us because he breathed his spirit upon the sons and daughters, that his spirit gives you the ability to follow through in a way David never knew. I have something David never had. So do you if you're a child of God. And so although we might pity David and say, David, yeah, come on, you should have, you should have stood up under this. But you have something. And yet we so often struggle with the same thing in which... Unforgiveness seems to flow. An offended heart seems to be. We have the Holy Spirit. We know the power of the cross. We've been given the Holy Spirit strength. And through Christ, we possess the power of forgiveness. We have seen forgiveness at work through Christ. So what do we do? We pray for those who misuse you. Return good for evil that is done to you. Do forgiveness. Just don't speak forgiveness. Just don't think forgiveness. I demonstrate forgiveness in my actions. And when you do, not based on how you feel, when you do, don't wait for you to feel good. Because if you wait to feel right, it won't happen. You just start doing it. Bad feelings may never totally go away. But if we begin now dealing with that person as if there's been total forgiveness in spite of whatever feelings there might be, affirming, 
demonstrating love and kindness. I mean, Jesus didn't just tell us how to forgive. He showed us how. When he went to the cross, he demonstrated it for us. What a beautiful picture. I want to close with some illustrations here today. I don't know if anybody has ever read the story or heard the story or watched the movie of The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom is a person who lived for a number of years. She died a few years back. Corey Ten Boom, a Dutch woman, relates her difficult struggle with forgiveness. You see, Corey's story was she is a survivor of the Nazi war camp in World War II. You've heard the stories of the Holocaust. She lived through it. She was brutally taken, her and her sister. They were subjected to unspeakable abuse at the hands of the Nazi guards. One guard in particular was especially cruel, she tells in her book. He was a man who watched the doorway to the women's showers. More than once, this man brutalized Corey and her sister. After the war years had gone by, Corey had tried to drive out those, those horrible memories from her heart. She had asked God to help her to forgive all those who had done these things to her and others. To put the memories behind her and she really felt she was there. One day, Corey tells she was traveling through Europe on a post-war speaking tour, surrounded by a number of people, and a voice in the crowd called out a number. But that number was her number. And when she heard that number from that voice, she said she froze. Instantly, she recognized the voice of the shower room guard. Wheeling toward the voice, she found herself looking directly into the face which had so often been contorted with cruelty. But she said that day something was different in his face. The man said to her, quote, Corey Ten Boom, I have been looking all over Europe for you. Since those dark days, I have found Jesus. God has forgiven me. Now I am trying to find every person from the camp and beg their forgiveness. Corey. I have sinned so deeply against you. Could you forgive me? End quote. So what should she do? Come on. She should forgive him, right? <laughs> if you didn't come up with that, then I need to start again at the first of the sermon. She needs to forgive him. She said when he said that, all the scenes from the prison sprang to life again, the things she tried to put out of her mind. She looked down at the ground. She says, I just don't feel like forgiving. She thought, didn't say. The man took her by the arm. She revolted. He begged again, would you forgive me? Corey looked back up into that face. She said she had to drop her eyes again. Her mind flooded with the horrible pictures and emotions and the hurt all back again. A third time, would you forgive me, please? Forgive me. Corey said, I looked at him, and she says, I saw a vision. She says, I saw a vision, a fresh vision of the cross. I saw my Lord, and he was hanging at the cross, and he was looking at me. I saw him looking into my eyes, and he was saying, Father, forgive them, because they do not know 
what they are doing. And then she says in her book, she says, somehow God gave me the grace to forgive him. I forgave. That's an incredible story. Could I do it? I'd like to believe yes. Believe in God's ability to do it. Years would pass, and it reminds me of a story that those of us, a week ago, we were at a conference, the Timothy Conference. We were in Whitby. And we were being told a story of a woman healing evangelist. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman. And Catherine Kuhlman, who lived in the 60s and 70s, who had tremendous healing crusades across the United States, she would die in her late 50s. She had an enlarged heart, and she would die from that condition. She would, before her death, she was on her deathbed. This was a great healing evangelist. Some of you have heard. How many here have heard of Catherine Kuhlman? You've heard of Catherine Kuhlman, okay? About a third of you. So you can look that up. It's an interesting story of reading the life and story of Catherine Kuhlman. But the historian who was telling us the story a week ago was telling us something I, I had not heard in the story. I've read her story multiple times but was telling us something about the story. She was on her, on her bed. She was in and out of coma. She was near her death, but she was in turmoil. Those closest to her saw she was struggling with something, struggling with something. She wanted to go to be with the Lord, but there was something wrong. What was it? It wasn't her sickness. That wasn't it. And they discovered that what was wrong was there was unforgiveness towards a person who used to travel with her in the early days. He was a pianist. His name was Dino. Picture of Dino here. Dino had traveled with her, and they had had a sharp parting of ways. And there was really some bad water gone under the bridge. And she had never forgiven Dino. And her heart was in turmoil at her deathbed. Similar to David's story. At her deathbed, Dino. And they knew and they became aware. Those closest to her became aware and they thought, how do we minister to her the power of forgiveness? This is a, hate, a faith healing evangelist who's struggling with this one person. It happened to be that Corey Ten Boone was in the same city as Catherine Kuhlman, we were told last week, happened to be in the same city. And so they contacted Corey and said, Corey, would you come and talk to Catherine? She's on her deathbed. And who better to talk to her about forgiveness than Corey Ten Boom, who's a survivor of the Holocaust? Corey, would you come and talk to Catherine? Corey immediately came, went into the room of Catherine and closed the door. As much as the others wanted to hear what was being said, it's none of your business. She closed the door, and Corey Ten Boom and Catherine spent six hours together. I would have loved to have listened to that conversation. Maybe in eternity I'll know what was said. I have an idea, though, because when Corey left six hours later, Catherine had peace. She had peace. David lay on his deathbed. David didn't know the cross, but you and I do. We may have tried silence. We may have tried indifference. We may have tried manipulation. We might have attempted revenge. But you don't have to live with it in your heart. Forgiveness is not easy, but it is possible. I want to say that again. Forgiveness is not easy, but forgiveness is possible. 
especially through Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. I invite you this morning, look into your heart. Find anyone you need to forgive. And live out full forgiveness. Tell God you forgave them. If the circumstances are appropriate, you might even have to say it to them. One last story I came across, and I came across this just this past week, but it's a story that happened a number of years ago. I was looking at some newspaper clippings, and I'd heard about the story. It was in a little town, a couple by the name of Frank and Elizabeth Morris. A few years prior to that, Frank and Elizabeth, um, their son, their son had been killed by a drunk driver. The drunk driver's name was Tommy Pigage. He was an older teenager, and he was stone drunk. And he ran over and killed their son. Driven by hatred, mom and dad, Frank Elizabeth Morris, they hated him. They hated him for taking their son. They monitored his every court appearance. They followed him to the local jail. They hated and wanted the maximum sentence against him. They confessed. They simply didn't want him in prison. They wanted him dead. Reporters talked to them because it was a big thing in the U.S. where this took place. Driven by hatred. Driven by hatred. They were expecting the grand jury to hand down murder. Murder of the first degree. The judge couldn't. Instead, the judge charged him with second-degree manslaughter. Second-degree manslaughter, the circuit judge Edwin White ordered that Tommy Pagage to spend every other weekend in jail. He was to watch an autopsy performed on a, on a wrecked victim. He was to ride with an ambulance crew on emergency runs and to work as a volunteer in the hospital emergency room. That was all part of the sentence. You see some pictures up here of the three. The one to the left, the bottom here, is a story much later of Tommy Begage. He was the drunk driver who killed the mom and dad's son. This is years later. Begage was ordered to share his experience at high school students at mad lectures. And this began to change very slowly mom and dad's heart. Their hatred for him began to leave and was replaced with a sense of sympathy and compassion. And they truly prayed. They were Christians. They prayed, God help us to forgive him for killing our son. They said one day he was speaking at a mad lecture. They went behind stage to talk with him, glad that he was reformed. And they smelt liquor on his breath. And they said every particle of anger came back into their spirits. How dare he? And that was the most difficult moment for them. Are they truly going to forgive him? And then they realized what they need to do is more than forgive him. They need to help him. Because although one person died from drunk driving, if they didn't do something about it, three more were going to die. Him and them from this. So they began to drive him to church twice a week. They invited him to their dinner table. Yes, the guy that killed their son. They invited him to their dinner table. You see, unable to find satisfaction through revenge, they decided to forgive. And to forgive by doing something. Pagage, they wanted to forgive him and try to help him rebuild his life along with rebuilding their own life. 
They said they felt alcohol had wiped out one very special life. They don't want to waste three more. So they went when he did his weekend times and they would visit him in his jail cell. Over and over they would visit until he came and he would throw his arms around them and weep and beg for their forgiveness of what he had done. But they had already forgiven him. And they lived out their forgiveness. They simply didn't drop it at that point. They helped him get his education. They said, you know, we could have felt better by what took place, but they needed to go farther. They needed to go the second mile. They needed to help him. And in all intents and purpose, they adopted him as their son. What a story. It's all in the newspapers. You can look it up. I, I did that this last week. Not all forgiveness stories end so happily ever after. But I want to suggest those who genuinely forgive do experience the kind of healing in their hearts. And when you don't know quite how to forgive someone, remember, remember, forgiveness is something we do. And we can do it because God has forgiven us through his son, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning. There's a reason as we look at David's life that you remind us of this very story here. The power of forgiveness. God, we have been forgiven so much. And Lord, we might think we're okay. We're past it. We're just going to forget about that. And maybe it is past. Maybe truly forgiveness has taken place. But maybe for some here today, maybe for many, someone has come to mind. Maybe there are numerous people who have come to mind. Usually it's those that were once close to us, who were once, who sat at our table, who once were trusted and loyal. Ones that maybe were part of our family circle, have been a part of our family circle, and they continue to kick dirt and throw rocks at us. Or maybe they are dead. Maybe they've passed on. But that thing is still there in our heart towards them. God, I pray there's something powerful in forgiveness. You said if we, if we, forg- we, we cannot experience the fullness of heaven's forgiving if we don't forgive others. And so, God, my prayer for everybody here this morning, that we would look into the recesses of our own heart. Holy Spirit, show us where we are still enacting a type of revenge where we are still holding out. Because God, if we don't deal with it, it'll come back later. It'll keep us in bondage. And it'll keep us from experiencing the fullness of your forgiveness in our life. God, I don't want anything to hinder that. And so Lord, do a deep work in our hearts this morning. A deep work in our hearts this morning. Come Holy Spirit, do that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.